for BRG leaders to really master this kind of craft. It helps them to demonstrate their value added from the work that they and their organization or the members in the organizations actually do. Because what they're demonstrating is evidence-based outcomes. That's Ed Hubbard, president and CEO of Hubbard and Hubbard Inc. Ed is talking about why all ERGs and BRGs need to have the tools and skills to communicate their ROI. I agree, and I think this has always been important. But in light of the recent pandemic and its impact on our economy, I think this is even more important than ever right now. Remember that things that are considered nice to have are often the first things that are put on the chopping block during times of corporate austerity. In this first half of the program, Ed will share with us how he became interested in developing scientific methods for measuring diversity and ERG ROI. He will also share a few of his models and techniques. All of this and more, but first a little bit more about this program. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors. Atrium Health, Freighter Health and Wisconsin Medical College, Mass Mutual, Lockheed Martin, Avenod, Daimler Trucks North America, and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Now, let's go straight to the program. So, Ed, my first question for you is this. Mm-hmm. What got you started in this field of diversity and inclusion ROI? Well, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing, Joe. Um, I was um, in a corporation um, back then, and I won't name the corporation, but um, essentially they um, essentially had one of these things that I'm sure nobody in the audience has ever experienced. It's, it's called a reorganization. And uh, we, <laughs> we had uh, 37 human resource professionals on staff. And when the smoke cleared, it was just me and my boss left from 37 people. Wow. And, um, you know, after, as a result of that, my boss and I decided to get together and we said, we better do a postmortem on our department because, uh, you know, they had virtually killed our department. And so we conducted a series of interviews and the series of interviews with the executives in the C-suite, uh, we found out that they said, well, you know, you guys couldn't prove value. You couldn't prove value that um, the things that you did uh, really made a difference to the bottom line of the organization. And that got me to thinking about, you know, well, how do you do that? What are the things that are critical to make sure that that happens? And so I started doing uh, a ton of research and, um, you know, I started to uh, really explore metrics because part of my background is is uh, systems engineering. And so as a result, um, you know, I started to look at different processes and systems and figured out that metrics and analytics was the way to go. Great story. So let me ask you this. For listeners who are not familiar with the term Mm -hmm. ROI or return on investment, can you give us the layman's definition of it? (laughs) Yes, I can. Um, You know, if you think about it, um, ROI is defined as uh, net initiative benefits uh, divided by cost times 100. So what do we mean by net initiative benefits? Well, it's the benefits minus the cost. So you think about all the benefits that you have, take out the cost and divide it by the cost and then multiply that times 100. So the benefits might include things like, um, you know, dollar increases in sales, uh, for an example, or it may include things like uh, dollars saved from an, an, a, a retention initiative that um, the BRG uh, puts in place. So those are the kinds of things that you do. So, but that's the formula. So let me give you a scenario and and work that formula around the scenario just to make sure that Mm -hmm. we drive home how this works. Sure. Suppose that I'm in an organization where the cost of hiring is determined to be about $2,000 per person Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that I take a budget of, let's say, Mm $5,000 and I use that budget with my group 
to put on an event that brings in people from outside the organization. And these are obviously people that have been pre-qualified as being the kind mm -hmm. of people that we would hire with the skills that we look for. And of those people that come into the organization, let's say 10 of them get hired. Right. How would you work that out? Well, part of it, it would be um, in terms of the way you would approach it is you think about, well, what's the cost, uh, what's the value of one employee? So you look at it and start with the benefit side. So what's one unit of value for uh, the actual employee themselves? And so oftentimes we can link that back to salary and think about exactly, you know, here's how much we're paying that person. Um, I was uh, head of compensation for a $208 billion company and um, essentially the way in which we focus on looking at salary and other kinds of things, we would look at the value of the individual. We have guidelines from a compensation standpoint to do that. And so as a result, you would look at here's how uh, much we value this employee as evidenced by their uh, salary. And then you can look at the cost um, in terms of um, being able to look at exactly what it costs for the program. So you can look at 10 employees. Uh, multiplied times their benefit, which would be, in this case, their salary, and, uh, divided by the, the cost of bringing that employee in, or those 10 employees in, and then basically um, multiply that um, after, you know, subtracting out your cost from the benefit, uh, being able to multiply that then by 100, and you've got an ROI value. And so you would get the actual percentage uh, that would be calculated. Got it. And I would imagine that if you did that same calculation and you replaced the cost that it took to put on that event that brought those people in mm -hmm. with the cost that it would have taken to get those 10 people one by one at 2000 a pop uh, yeah. times 10, then you get what the difference is between the value, had you done it this way versus... Mm -hmm the way yeah. that, that you did it through the group. Exactly. And, you know, there's uh, some basic rules in terms of those kind of calculations. Um, through the research that we've done and several other organizations, um, we know that it costs you 1.5 times the salary of the person that you lose to replace them. So if you reverse the process in terms of moving it from, you know, a, a particular employee that comes on board and you turn it into um, a regrettable loss, um, and you're trying to really focus on retention, it's going to cost you 1.5 times the salary of the person that you lose to replace them. So somebody makes 50 grand, 75 grand to replace them, lose 12 people, that's a $900,000 hit to your bottom line. So for every, you know, person that you lose in that calorie, that, that category as a salaried individual, um, you've got, you know, that kind of impact to the bottom line. If it happens to be non-exempt, or hourly, it's going to be 0.75 times the um, annual pay and benefits uh, for the employee. And so you use that calculation. And these are what we call standard values. Standard values is 1.5.75 times the annual pay and benefits is the uh, value you would use for an hour, hourly or an exempt employee. Great. So I know from my own experience that organizations keep those numbers. So if an ERG or BRG group member wants to get that information to get the factors that they need to work their way through that kind yes. of equation, they are available. Absolutely. And I love this stuff the way you do. So, <laughs> and I'm listening to it. And as I'm following it, I'm thinking if you know somebody who's listening to the podcast is saying like, that still sounds hard and complicated. Yeah, right. so, right. now, so now here's the question then in light mm -hmm. of that, you know, mm -hmm. why is it that it's so important for employee network chairs to be able to articulate that type of ROI? And I think that the answer is kind of embedded in how you introduced yourself. Right, right, <laughs> but, right, exactly. But I would, I would love to hear you, uh, you know, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, great question, Joe. Um, you know, one of the things that um, you find is that for um, BRG leaders to really master this kind of craft, um, it really helps them to demonstrate, you know, uh, their value added uh, from the work that they and their organization or the members in the organizations actually do. Because what they're demonstrating is evidence-based outcomes. And oftentimes what's missing from the work is being able to uh, demonstrate to the C-suite and others that as a BRG, that we produce um, outcomes for the organization that are valuable. And it has to be evidence-based in order for it to be credible. And that's the whole point in the process of being able to use uh, standard ROI calculations to be able to demonstrate that anyone can follow step by step 
Um, and we have a seven-step model that uh, we can probably talk about later um, that essentially uh, talks about this in terms of how you actually calculate um, the impact. And it also helps to enhance the brand and image of your BRG because you've done. Oftentimes, people will really want to join those organizations, those BRGs that are making a difference in the organization or in the uh, society in general. Yeah, those are great points. And we are going to go to that model. We're certainly going to explore it and talk about it. But before we do, there's one more Mm -hmm. thing that I want to ask you about. And this question is coming from a personal experience. Mm -hmm. Several years ago, I also worked for this organization that will remain equally unnamed. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) in that role, I was asked by a CEO to do an analysis of the benefit that training was bringing to the organization. So training of the general employee population. And Mm -hmm. I just had the sneaking suspicion based on my own experience with the CEO that the next thing that was going to come out of this was going to be cost reductions. Yes. Particular area. The budget was going to be cut. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that this CEO was a big champion for coaching. He thought coaching was wonderful. He had a lot Mm -hmm. of his uh, line executives in coaching. So what I did was, and you're going to think this is kind of sneaky, but it was really fun to do. <laughs> the results were fun. What I did was I took my mandate to determine the return on investment and value being driven by training, mm-hmm. and I expanded it to include coaching. So I did the two, and what I found was identical results. Yeah, Identical exactly. results in terms mm-hmm. of what the benefits were. Mm-hmm. And so I went up to my CEO's office sometime later, and I presented my slide deck, which had these, uh, these results side by side. And he stood there watching this. And at one point, he said, I just, I just find it hard to believe <laughs> that coaching appears to produce the same results as training. Yes. And I thought mm-hmm. that coaching would be much higher. And I said, no, this is the same formula. I mm-hmm. collected the same numbers. Yeah, it's got to be something missing. But in any event, the reason why I share that story with you mm-hmm. is because, you know, to me, it's important to have that evidence-based case. But would you agree that there is something to being able to make a convincing case that goes beyond just the science and the math and has a lot to do with understanding the mindset? and the expectations of that other person that you're talking to. Is there a soft skill side to this that you would also say is equally important? Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um, That as part of this process, one of the things we talk about in terms of the uh, diversity ROI sciences that I've uh, created is this whole notion of being able to create an uh, evidence-based and measurement mindset. And the measurement mindset is, uh, as part of it, is thinking about head, heart and hand. And so it's about being able to say, you know, logically from a head standpoint, you know, can we calculate this in terms of values that make sense to people? And then in terms of the heart, it's about the emotional pieces to it, where people are coming from, what the perspectives are that they have, what their value set is, their belief systems around, you know, whether this can be done or not be done. And then being able to talk about it from a hand standpoint and being able to show practical applications for it to happen. And that is being able to actually do it. And so part of that process is really to be able to, and it's not sneaky at all, <laughs> that essentially you're, you're creating context. <laughs> so <laughs> you're creating context for them to understand it because basically because, you know, this person was really interested in coaching and already had a value set around, you know, that coaching, what the expectation was that coaching was going to be high, uh, higher and the belief system that, that coaching was going to be higher, then essentially you have to tap into that. So as a BRG leader, you know, part of it is, is being able to really analyze your audience. And uh, we use something and we talk to people about using what we call TPC, technical, political, and cultural. And that is that, you know, give the technical answer in terms of how it's done. Uh, Political, think about the actual um, values and belief systems of the other person, because, you know, based upon what you say and what you do, their status might be uh, affected by that, their perspective or something that they really value uh, might be um, uh, affected by that. And so culturally, the question is, has anybody ever challenged it um, as an example? So you want to be able to 
take it through any kind of decision-making process, use the TPC model to really better understand exactly who that audience is that you're presenting to and be able to, um, you know, connect with them in terms of what they think is important and also help them to better understand um, essentially how your process works. Great points, you know, and I'm glad you made that point about it not being sneaky. It took a little bit of a burden off of me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I did this in the beginning, the reason why I said sneaky was because uh, I knew that his goal was to focus mm -hmm. in on the training yeah. and that the outcome that he wanted was, well, how much can we cut from that budget? Absolutely. And that when I came mm -hmm. up with the piece on coaching and adding yeah. that context, what yes. I wanted to do was to present the two in such a way that the argument that moved, then moved from cutting training to, well, we should cut both equally or in some measure. Yes. And mm -hmm. I knew that emotionally he didn't want to cut anything on yeah. the coaching side. Yeah, so, right. Exactly. So coach was sacred. sacred. Right, it was sacred. It was, it was a sacred cow. So yeah. I just, I created that condition on purpose because mm -hmm. of the dynamics. So that, that's why I said when I walked into the room, I felt like, okay, this is kind of sneaky. Yeah, right. you know? But, but anyway. No, that, your, your point is well taken though, Joe. I mean, it, it really is. If you think about it, um, there, there will be times when um, for the, just the, the need of the organization to eliminate uh, cost. And, um, you know, they may be across the board costs. And so like any other um, part of the organization, whether it's marketing, sales, and operations, our BRGs have to be prepared to be able to present an evidence-based case that says, here's the reason why we're a good investment. Here's the reason why you need to continue to invest. And so before you get ready to take us off the chopping block, uh, take us and put us on the chopping block, think about exactly the value that we produce back to the organization. And there's hundreds of examples of BRGs doing wonderful work um, in terms of adding uh, dollar values um, to the bottom line. There's cases I can cite that essentially talk about, in one case, um, uh, BRGs that um, put a billion dollars to the bottom line of the organization. Um, another one that created a $200 million uh, target market segment. Wow, that is impressive. So let's do this. We've been kind of circling around this, uh, these models that you spoke about. So mm -hmm. let's go right there and talk about some of the specific processes you recommend that ERGs and BRGs use to measure ROI impact. Okay, thanks, Joe. And so um, we have a seven-step model uh, that we used uh, to be able to enter into uh, the work that you would do as a BRG leader uh, to help to calculate the ROI values. And so I'll give it to you in these step, seven steps. Step one is to know what you want to know. And so that really is an analysis step to really find out what is it that you want to know at the end of the day. When you're doing these calculations, um, you have to start with this um, understanding of why is it that you're trying to calculate ROI. And perhaps we can talk about needs analysis a little bit later, uh, but essentially that's essential. This is a needs analysis step um, in terms of knowing what you want to know. That sounds almost like a Covey, you know, start with the end in mind. Approach. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Perfectly stated. And uh, the second step is to collect data and analyze it. So you want to, after you know what you want to know, then you collect data and you analyze it. And the third step is to isolate diversity's contribution or the ERG um, or BRG's contribution from all others. And that's where you use a, a whole series. We've created a whole science around uh, 10 different ways that you can begin to analyze and isolate diversity's contribution. Sometimes it means setting up naturally occurring control groups. In other cases, it's using trend line or time series analysis um, as part of that process or participants estimate and so forth. There are a lot of different ways in which you can begin to isolate diversity from all others or the contribution that the ERGs and BRGs are making. Then you convert that contribution to a money, which is the next of uh, the fourth step in the process. Then next in step five, you're going to gather fully loaded cost and benefits. And you want to make sure that you do uh, gather all of the cost and benefits because during your presentation to the uh, audience that you have, you want to make sure that you don't leave out any cost. And in fact, in one uh, particular example, we had a uh, BRG that was presenting all of the cost 
And one of the uh, senior executives said, well, wait a minute, you're taking that particular cost. That's a shared cost across the organization. And so, you know, you shouldn't necessarily include that cost in the um, particular calculation because it's an allocated cost. To the process and so they took the costs out and of course and when you remove costs you increase the benefit <laughs> so <laughs> therefore it, it made the it made the brg look even better <laughs> as part of that process and so and then the next step uh, the fifth uh, sixth step in that process then is to be able to uh, calculate the roi and calculate payback period and then the seventh step in the uh, process is, of course, to calculate what we call or gather what we call intangibles, uh, the stories of success. Because, uh, Joe, it's not just about the numbers. It's also about the stories around the numbers. And we call them SOSs, stories of success. So you want to be able to not only calculate your numbers, but you want to talk about what impact did it have on people? What, did it, what kind of impact did it have on uh, helping to make society better? or to make the, uh, the culture inside of the organization better. Those are all key variables in this process. So it's not just the calculations themselves. It's also uh, being able to talk about the stories and the impact of the work that's being done by the BRGs because they're doing a stellar work around being able to add value back to the organization. And we want to make sure that in the um, holistic notion that they're presenting the whole uh, case for the BRGs and showing their value. Yeah, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking that putting something like this together sounds like the work for a you know the work for a team, a yes. team of people, mm-hmm. because there are a number of different areas of expertise here that are clearly needed in order to be able to do something like this. It would make a lot of sense, I think, and be beneficial for ERG leaders to make sure that they have people on their teams that mm-hmm. can work with them to put something like this together as opposed to the chair trying to become a combination of a financial analyst, mm-hmm. they're the chair of the group, plus right. on top of that, they're the master storyteller. What, what are your thoughts about that? No, it's a, it's a great question. And um, uh, certainly um, embedded in uh, what you mentioned earlier is exactly part of the answer. And that is that um, I always think about it in this context that we should model the diversity that we talk about. You know, Gandhi always said, you know, be the change you want in the world. And so it's about <laughs> model the, the diversity that we uh, talk about. So if we're really modeling that kind of diversity and inclusion, then we do need a team. We need some uh, individuals to be able to collect, uh, gather the stories, instead of being the sole source for it, be able to involve the entire team in collecting the information, creating the stories, uh, thinking about those other things, even having advisory groups um, from your sponsors and, and others who are part of that. So that when, for an example, uh, you're getting ready to present your numbers to a an audience, whatever the audience happened to be, and they say, well, where did you get that number for, uh, from in terms of uh, calculating salary? We say, well, guess what? Let's introduce one of our team members who happens to be the head of accounting and essentially <laughs> <laughs> they're the advisory person that we have on the, on the team. And, and in fact, they write your paychecks. So if you don't believe them, you, you then are probably challenging us. But, um, you know, if you're not challenging your paycheck, I think we got good numbers. <laughs> I love that. So let's pause here and take stock of what we've gotten out of this meaty episode so far. One, we got a step-by-step guide for how we can calculate our ROI value as follows. It's the benefits minus the cost divided by the cost and then take the resulting number and multiply it by 100. And if that still leaves your head spinning, get someone from finance on your team to calculate it and maintain it for you. All the numbers you need to calculate ROI already exist in your company. You just need to know who to ask. And again, it's a good idea to get someone from finance involved. Three, there is both an art and a science to communicating ROI. That's captured in the Triple H acronym, which stands for head, heart, and hand. Head is about making the argument logical. Heart is about understanding the emotional experiences and beliefs of your audience so that you can package and convey your message effectively. And finally, the hand component is all about being able to show that the solution and the benefits have practical application. In this segment, we also covered Ed's seven-step model. 
And finally, five, as a chair, don't try to do this all by yourself. And that is a recurring theme throughout our entire discussion. Coming up, we'll explore how to make ROI tracking and reporting a permanent feature of your network. We'll also take a look at the common pitfalls that can trip you up, as well as how and why you should aim high in your goals. Before that, however, let's learn a little bit more about Ed's organization. If you're fortunate enough to work with one of our seven podcast sponsors, the good news is that you'll have an opportunity to join me and Ed for a private ROI webinar in the near future. If you are not one of our sponsors, we're going to share a little more about Ed's practice with you right now. And remember, you can always contact me to learn more. Okay, so here we go, and I'll see you back with Ed on the other side. For more than 35 years, Dr. Edward E. Hubbard and Hubbard and Hubbard Inc. has helped individuals and organizations demonstrate the impact and return on investment of their diversity and inclusion initiatives on the financial bottom line. He is the president and CEO of Hubbard and Hubbard Inc., an international organization and human performance consulting corporation that specializes in techniques for applied business performance improvement, diversity return on investment, DROI measurement, and analytics. Dr. Hubbard is recognized globally as the founder of the diversity measurement and diversity ROI analytics fields and is the author of more than 55 business-related books. An award-winning applied behavioral scientist, Dr. Hubbard has received numerous awards for his work, such as the Excellence in Global Leadership Award and the Living Legends of Diversity Award for creating the diversity ROI analytics fields and their associated disciplines. For more information, visit www.hubbardandhubbardinc.com. That's www.hubbardandhubbardinc.com. www.hubbardandhubbardinc.com. Okay, welcome back. All right, so let's pick up where we left off with Ed. And has that been your experience that the that the BRGs, uh, ERGs that are the best at doing this are the ones where the chair surrounds themselves with various committee groups to do things like this instead of trying to sort of be all things to yes and, and do all these different things yes ha- absolutely and and in fact we highly recommend it um, in terms of being able to uh, have them have committees to do exactly that because the other thing joe that it does as a value add is create legacy build- building because if you have changeovers of um, you know your uh, brg leaders uh, people who ultimately move on to other kinds of things. In many cases, the BRGs are volunteer in nature, and so therefore you might have people changing positions and so forth. Now you've got a committee that's responsible for calculating, documenting, and making sure all of these things are there. So if any new leader comes on board, new members come on board, they've got a, a, a real audit trail and a, a legacy that tells them, here's exactly what we've done, here's how we've done it. And essentially, we're uh, built to uh, take on any initiative that we have. The other uh, thing I'll, I'll leave you with um, as well is that you create what are called standard practices and standard values. And so therefore, you're able to compare initiative to initiative and also calculate what are the standard values you want to use in each uh, particular case base. Yeah, I love that example because the idea of having these committees Mm -hmm. uh, who can serve as a vehicle for the continuity of these practices so that they don't emerge with one chair and then disappear when you get another chair. Right, exactly. You know, get reinvented, as it were, or rediscovered Mm -hmm. a couple of years later when you have another chair. That goes a long way toward Mm -hmm. creating a more stable network organization that can keep that continuity going even as the players change around. Mm-hmm. And it also keeps the quality high too and the credibility high yeah, because yeah. everybody knows the process, everyone's following the same particular approach and so therefore uh, they've got uh, a real foundation that they're building going forward. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this question then, mm-hmm. Ed. What component is the component that people commonly miss Mm-hmm. measuring ROI and initiatives? Well, without a doubt, I would say it's needs, uh, needs analysis. Uh, in, in my own research, in the research we've done, uh, we've been doing this for the last 40 years. Uh, that's four zero. And um, in that particular experience, we've seen, um, you know, and we always ask the question when we come into a group, we ask them, okay, um, what is it that you're trying to do? Uh, first of all, identifying their objectives. And then we'll ask the question, 
uh, what's your needs assessment that says that this initiative that you're selecting is indeed the initiative you should work on? And we ask whether or not there's a needs analysis. And almost to um, a group, they'll say, well, what's that? Or either we don't have one. And the key with that is that we have a basic rule in uh, what we do in our what we call our Hubbard and Hubbard Sciences is that if there is no need, there is no benefit. So indeed, if you don't have a need uh, where you analyze that need up front, then you can't say that you had an ROI value that you produced at the end. Because if you think about it from an analysis standpoint, ideally you want to be able to accomplish some particular objective. Actually, you're working at a certain level in terms of working on a problem or an issue. The gap between those is, uh, becomes the work. So it's a basic gap analysis. So if you're going to be able to show how you're closing the gap in whatever problem or opportunity that your, your um, BRG is working on, then you've got to be able to show from a needs analysis standpoint that this is evidence-based information that says this is worth doing and essentially we're going to uh, need to know exactly ideally where uh, do we want to be in the future and actually where we're starting from as a baseline and we're then closing that gap with the um, the work that the BRG does and the members do as part of their process. So what you're describing is the complete opposite of let's put together a solution and then let's find the problem. That yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oftentimes that's what we find is that, you know, they've got a solution in search of a problem <laughs> and that's, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not. So in terms of being able to make sure that you understand what the needs of an organization are, mm -hmm. Probably one of the most important things is to make sure that you're connected with the business, that you understand oh, the needs of that business, that this is not something that you're concocting over here somewhere, totally mm -hmm. separated from, mm -hmm. the, from the actual ongoing events inside the business. So yeah. how do you recommend doing that? Okay, excellent question. Uh, we've created something um, called the high impact map. Um, you know, it's uh, the high impact map is structured in this way. And so it consists of about five columns and uh, the high impact map starts out with the first column being the objectives of, of the organization. So in column one, number one, you have the organization's objectives. Uh, those are the strategic business objectives. So that means that the BRG needs to get a copy of the strategic business plan or they need to be able to have a person on their advisory board who can tell them what some of the strategic business initiatives are uh, for the organizations. And in addition to that, they should also be uh, able to acquaint their members with what the strategic business initiatives are. So that's column one. Column two is then to say, let's uh, label that one as uh, the BRG objectives. So now we're putting next to those uh, strategic business objectives, the, e, uh, BR, uh, the BRG's objectives to find out how do we connect? Where do we connect with the kinds of objectives that we have that essentially are connected to those of the business? Then the third column in that process is to be able to identify the measures um, that you want to, uh, to use to calculate um, the actual impact of those uh, particular objectives that you have that are going to connect to the organization's objectives. And so you can start to work backwards. You start um, generally with the organizations, and in fact, I can emphasize this, um, um, you know, heartily here, that uh, you always, always start with the business objectives because you have to make that connection back to the business. And once you do that, then you can look at your BRG objectives, see how they connect, and then identify what are the measures you're going to use to be able to assess whether or not you've been able to accomplish those objectives. That should then dictate specifically what your initiative should be. Uh, because oftentimes what happens is that we see BRGs that come together and they already have initiatives in mind that they want to run, and it's like the problem, uh, it's a solution in search of a problem. Well, it's a BRG <laughs> initiative in search of, you know, an organizational objective. <laughs> and so um, what, what they start out with is their, their initiatives first, and they don't necessarily connect it. So we're trying to get them to have what we call a line of sight. And um, creating this line of sight is what the high impact map does. Then the next um, piece of it, or the last uh, step in that process, is to put value added, the so what. 
the WIFM question, what's in it for me or what's in it for the organization to actually do this? So now if we go back and just kind of summarize, we're saying you were looking at the uh, strategic business objective of the organization, how it connects with the, uh, the BRG's uh, objective, then looking at exactly what the actual metrics will be to be able to make sure that we achieve that objective, then looking at the initiatives that's going to drive that objective, and then being able to answer from an investment standpoint, here's why we're doing this, that it's gonna help us to reduce costs, to save time, to be able to get a higher quality candidate, whatever it is that they're focused on. That's excellent. You know, I realize that you and I have that love of impact maps in common. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I also developed an impact map uh, that's in one of my books a couple of years ago. Uh -huh. And it kind of tracks, there, there's a part where you depart from me or I depart from you, which is right after those uh, EBRG goals or objectives, you uh -huh. go into the value piece, whereas I go into, so what actions do you have to take to meet those goals? Yes. And what are the resources? that you need to take. So mine is more of a resource allocation line of sight mm -hmm. so that yeah. when you're having a discussion with someone, you can mm -hmm. literally say, I need this money to take this action, which will bring yes. about this particular result, which mm -hmm. ties back to one of the business objectives. Mm -hmm. Whereas yours, I think, goes more into uh, looking at, first of all, of what value is it to the organization. Yours probably lends itself also to being able to do an economic value add. And I know we're getting, yes. we're getting yeah. way too nerdy on this podcast yeah, right. <laughs> because, because I'm talking to someone else no, who loves all this stuff. Right? Oh, yeah. But oh, yours, yeah. yours probably gets, you, you, you're probably able to use yours to look at something like, well, I've got six EBRGs and they're all doing mm -hmm. these different things, right? Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and this one's bringing a return of X and this one's a return of X quadrupled and that probably from the standpoint of someone who manages these and has to uh, yeah. allocate money out to each right. one of them probably gives them a way of determining where they should be putting most of their of their no. funds. so well, well stated it's the both but yeah. I, it's just interesting and i again i love impact mapping so uh, mm -hmm. so you and i you and i are uh, there anyway we're going to mm -hmm. bring this back to the topic of the podcast and away from our our love of numbers and impact maps and all those yeah, right. things <laughs> that, uh, that yes absolutely so give me an example of ROI mm -hmm. impact, Ed. Okay, well, the ROI impact is, is similar to, is the, um, well, the example I used earlier, and that is that if you're focused on re uh, retention um, and you have people leaving and you have regret regrettable losses, um, you know, it's using those uh, metrics around uh, the standard values of 1.5 times the salary of the person you lose to replace them. Because oftentimes what happens is that um, we find that organizations may um, either intentionally or unintentionally not realize the human capital assets um, that essentially they really have in the people um, inside of the organization. And what we're talking about here is how you utilize that talent. Because oftentimes a lot of the metrics focus around utiliz uh, representation rather than utilization. And in order to get the ROI value, you've got to utilize your, your talent, not just uh, have them represent it. So if we're talking about a calculation like a 1.5 times salary of the person you lose to replace them, uh, then essentially we know that um, as a result of a $50,000 salary being paid, you're going to have 75000 to replace them and uh, lose to 12 people. You've got a $900,000 hit to your bottom line, so almost a million-dollar hit. Uh, for those 12 people, then it shows you um, here's the real value of your human capital assets. And if you um, don't calculate that, guess what? It's going to happen anyway. You're going to wow. be losing that money uh, whether you actually conduct the calculation or not. So the key is to be able to have informed choice. Have informed choice about what you do, how you utilize your human capital assets like BRG members and such that in such a way that adds value to both the organization and the bottom line of the organization. Yep, great. Well said. So, Ed, are there any other elements that you find are essential that people need to pay attention to in order to create initiatives and calculate ROI effectively? Yeah, I would say, uh, Joe, that, um, you know, one of the things that would be very important um, to do is to make sure you have what we call PCC um, objectives. And what PCC stands for is performance, condition, and criteria. 
And so if you um, have a well-stated objective, you would uh, indicate those three elements as part of it. So let me give you an example. An example would be to increase promotion-ready BRG members by 20% using a mentoring initiative that will be completed by December 2020. So let's go back through the elements. So the performance, we're going to increase something. So we're increasing in this case, uh, the promotion ready BRG members. And then the question is, um, in terms of the actual criteria, it's 20% that we've got to be able to increase it by 20%. And so the conditions under which um, we do that is we're going to be using a mentoring initiative to be able to make that happen. So through mentoring, we're able to make people more promotion ready and be able to use the mentoring um, as a means to increase uh, them inside of the organization. And what we want to be able to do is to know how much we've increased them by, by being able to look at that 20%. So when you have a well-stated objective, then it becomes very measurable then essentially you can calculate it and take it back to ROI and you can create that line of sight directly from your objective to the calculation of the, um, the ROI components itself. Fantastic. I love that. I think I've picked up more acronyms in this one podcast than I have <laughs> in the other episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's alphabet soup after a while, Joe. <laughs> yeah, every, every particular discipline has a, a set of alphabets and uh, you know different acronyms. And uh, I guess this is uh, like all others. <laughs> yeah, no, I love this though. Performance, condition, criteria. It has some elements of, but then goes a little bit beyond sort of the smart goal approach. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love that because I think that's something that, you know, as I think about this, it can probably be used in a number of different areas. This is not just isolated into the uh, into the BRG space. And why that's why that's so important, Joe, is that um, you know that oftentimes what will happen is that if you look at any particular uh, set of objectives with those lenses, you'll be able to see whether or not any um, initiative that you're putting in place as a BRG is measurable. Without those elements, you can't um, really tell whether or not it's going to be uh, measurable. So, for an example. If you say, well, we're going to understand how this works better. Well, if it's not definitive in terms of clearly identifying the performance and, you know, the condition and the criteria, then understanding is left in the eye of the person who's interpreting the understanding. That's and right. so they may come at different, uh, different levels and, and different ways in which they perceive the outcomes. And so that's why we're talking about, you know, more precise evidence-based outcomes. Yeah, yeah. That's another pitfall. If you set it Absolutely. up so that it's not evidence-based or it can be turned into something that you can express in an evidence-based way, then you've got a problem from the get-go in terms of being oh, yeah. accurate, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Having the evidence helps to bring the credibility. And that's one of the things that you want to be able to have when you go to present before any particular audience that's a stakeholder's audience um, or anyone else that you're talking to um, and being able to show them why uh, this BRG matters inside of the organization and externally to um, all of the particular uh, groups and uh, people that they touch. Absolutely. You know, Ed, earlier you talked a little bit about an example of a group that was able to generate a billion dollars as a result of the work they did. Talk more about that. In that particular example, uh, the BRGs uh, were um, in, entitled culture clubs. And uh, the culture clubs, um, essentially, they had, you know, different uh, ethnic culture clubs within the organization. And uh, the one that we worked with was um, a group called the Chinese Culture Club. And they basically, um, as part of the uh, research and the processes and the systems that we taught them, uh, was to do research to find in the organization, what's an organizational problem and issue uh, or issue that needed to be solved that would matter to the bottom line. And what they found is that um, the product and services that they sold, uh, they were having problems selling them in the, in the Chinese market. And uh, the sales uh, team was really perplexed as to why is it that they were not able to get uh, the doctors in that uh, particular market to um, take advantage of uh, the products that they had. Well, we created this thing called a ride-along initiative. And the ride-along initiative was that um, the uh, after doing some research with the sales reps and watching and doing an observation uh, with them, one of the things we found out is they were creating all kinds of major faux pas in terms of, um, you know, really not um, – 
if you think about the do's and don'ts in the culture, uh, they were doing all of the don'ts and not of the uh, not a lot of the do's in that process. And so the ride along initiative was that the um, individual BRG members would ride along with the sales reps. And they would essentially be there to give them cultural competency training in the car. And then after they did that, um, they also, um, after analyzing the problem and the issue, translated all of the particular products and services into Mandarin and Cantonese and the other dialects. Because one of the things that the doctors would say is that, well, how many people who look like my patients are in your clinical trials? Uh, they also asked the question of, you know, what kind of literature le you're leaving uh, behind with me? And guess what? My uh, patients only speak Mandarin. So essentially, that literature was not something that was really valuable uh, for them. So as a result of doing those kinds of things and being able to teach these cultural competencies in the car and uh, helping them to stay uh, true to that, they were able to um, increase sell-through. And here's where it starts to multiply. That is, every other culture club, as a result of building a basic business case and a success case, those stories of success that I talked about earlier, they were able to then teach the other culture clubs how to do that same thing. And then we taught them all how to calculate ROI. And this was something um, in terms of the actual billion-dollar impact. That was calculated by the accounting department. It was, not it was not calculated by the BRGs themselves. So they have even higher credibility. So as a result of doing that initiative, we were able to show that not only did they set a standard of excellence um, in the organization, but they were able to show that they was transferable to other groups in the organization to make the company highly profitable. Yeah, the same thing that happened with Frito-Lay as well, uh, with uh, being able to add different products and services on the shelf that really focused on uh, the Latino, uh, uh, the, uh, the Hispanic and Latina market. That's fantastic, Ed. I have mm -hmm. to ask you one more question. Sure, sure. Uh, but as you were telling that story, I just recall that years ago, mm -hmm. I wrote an article where I quoted extensively this organization that spoke about their culture clubs and ride-alongs, and they had a different culture club for different cultures. They had a Russian culture club, mm -hmm. had all these different groups, and so Without revealing, you don't have to reveal the name of the company, but <laughs> is this a Farva company by any chance? I would yeah. imagine because we're dealing with doctors. It is. Yeah. It is, yeah. as a matter yeah. of fact. So I'm very familiar with the example because, yes. I, and this goes back a couple of years. The story oh, yeah, quite a, few, quite a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, because the article that I wrote was many, many years ago. And I mm -hmm. remember thinking, what a brilliant way to use these groups, to have mm -hmm. them ride along and work with the people who are trying to either – either market these products or absolutely shape them for different mm -hmm. groups out there fantastic small world Ed. yeah small world <laughs> absolutely small world well i'm glad to make that connection too yeah yeah, yeah fabulous it, it really shows that it really shows the real value of, of what brgs can do and so part of it is is being able to give them the space to do it and the structure and the process to make it happen and that's what i was doing with the metrics um in line with this particular uh podcast is to really focus on you know being able to put these kind of structures in place to calculate the impact and the value of what the brgs do yeah that's excellent really appreciate that so ed i could stay on with you much longer <laughs> and keep on talking about this but i think that one of the things that's really important for our listeners is to be able to go find more information on this. So mm -hmm. I know that you're a prolific writer and you've had <laughs> a lot of books published. So yeah. of the books that you've written, which would you recommend for someone who wants to take a bit of a deeper dive into this to understand mm -hmm. it better? Well, I, we wrote, um, you know, in this particular case, I co-wrote the book with um, my, my partner, my wife and my friend, uh, Dr. Myra Hubbard as well. And uh, the book is entitled Measuring the ROI Impact of ERGs and BRGs. And the subtitle is Ensuring Employee Resource Groups um, and Initiatives uh, Drive Business and Organizational Results. And so uh, being able to have, um, you know, that kind of uh, text will take you step by step. It will talk about the seven um, steps process that we mentioned earlier, and um, it will give you a much deeper dive into how the calculations are done and show you some examples of how they've been applied. Excellent. So, Ed, where can people get that book? Do they go to your website or Amazon? They can go to diversitysuperstore.com. 
So www.diversitysuperstore.com, that's our, um, our store. And essentially, they're able to uh, purchase the, uh, the book there. In addition to that, they can also go to Amazon uh, because it is available on Amazon, uh, like everything's available on Amazon. And uh, essentially, so either, either uh, way, you get access to the text. And that's what we wrote the book for, is to put it in the hands of ERG BR, uh, and BRG leaders um, such that they have the text and the uh, information that they need to make their business capes. That's fantastic. Ed, thank you so much again for joining mm -hmm. us today. It's been truly my a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And you have a wonderful rest of your day. So what did we get out of the latter half of our discussion with Ed Hubbard? Here's my list. One, standing up a committee to handle measuring and tracking ROI is not only a good way to bring in the needed skills to do this well, it also ensures the continuity of the practice when you hand the group and that committee to a new chair. Two, before designing any solution or goal, identify a business problem so your group doesn't become a solution in search of a problem. Three, the first step before you set up any objective is to build some type of an impact map. This will enable you to start and remain aligned to business objectives. Four, as for the objectives that you set up or the goals that you set up for yourself, make sure that they're clearly stated in terms that make it easier to measure the outcome. Ed recommends the PCC model, which stands for Performance, Conditions, and Criteria. Five, think big. Remember the example where the employee groups helped the company bring in $1 billion of business. ERGs and BRGs often bring a great deal of value that is not captured or recognized in many organizations. You don't need to let that happen to you and to your group. By taking the time to learn these skills and preparing to show why you and your team matter, you can demonstrate the full power and value of what you and your team are doing for your members, your community, and your organizations. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.